Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this book of Luke, which we are returning to. Thank you for Luke's investigations that give us confidence in the certainty of the things that he's recorded for us. Pray that again this morning you would help us as we're looking at them. Please work by your spirit to give us that certainty in Jesus and all that he accomplished. In his name we pray. Amen. Sometimes things are, are right there in front of you, but you can't see them. You know these kind of silly optical illusions? Maybe you've come across uh, this one here. When you look at this picture, who do you see? Well, in fact, there are two women in this picture. And when I first saw this, I could see the young lady looking backwards. But there's also a, an elderly lady looking forwards too. But somebody needed to point that out to me. Well, I wonder, if you're a Christian, I wonder perhaps whether you sometimes are wondering, why is it that people don't see Jesus? Why is it that they don't get how wonderful he is? Why don't they see that he is the wonderful rescuing king sent from God to save us from our sins, to bring us into relationship with him, both now and forever. Well, why don't they get it? In fact, I am pointing it out to them, and yet still they don't see. Equally, if you're not a Christian, you might wonder, why are all these Christians so carried away about this Jesus? Well, in order for anyone, anyone at all, to see the significance of who Jesus is and what he came to do, something needs to happen. I've really, really struggled with these verses. Indeed, in fact, over the last few weeks, time and again, I, I wish that I'd done what I thought I might do, is put, combine these verses with the previous ones to almost kind of hide them away. But one thing convinced me not to do that, and it's kept me going amongst my struggles. It is that over 30 years pass from uh, the previous verses that Luke has recorded to us and the start of chapter 3. 30 years pass, and Luke decides to record just one event. Just one. And in fact, across all four Gospels, this is the only one. This is the only account of Jesus' childhood that is recorded for us. It has got to be significant. This alone from Jesus' entire childhood is necessary to give us certainty into who he is and what he's about. And so although I have really struggled, I do think I found out why it is included for us. These verses, they teach us two big things about Jesus and one big thing about ourselves. But before we get to those points, they really are quite remarkable verses, aren't they? Quite remarkable events. I wonder what you made of them as, as it was read to us. But once again, we find the, the picture we get of Joseph and Mary is that of devotion and faithfulness to God. 
Just like last time, they were very careful to do all that the law commanded. Well, here again, we find their dedication. So the Old Testament taught that adult males were to travel to Jerusalem three times a year for three of the big festivals. But by this time, it was generally accepted that the men should come up once a year. As people lived further afield, the, the practicalities, the time, the distances of getting them there three times a year was too much. So they were expected to come once a year for one of the big three festivals. But that was just required of men. But notice in verse 41 that Joseph and Mary, his parents, Jesus' parents, came to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And this year, and I think they probably did it the other years as well, but this year they bring Jesus. Jesus is 12 years old. Now that's a significant age because at 13, uh, a Jewish child became a man. He became responsible for his own spiritual life. And so as a 12-year-old, it had been a time of, of training and equipping and teaching from his parents to show him what was required and expected of him. And so they bring Jesus up to the temple at the time of the Passover. Now for safety uh, in those days, that they would have travelled in groups. Families would have got together and made that journey to and from uh, together. And apparently it was the custom that the women and children would, would go up first with the men behind. And that's what makes verse 43 possible. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. You can imagine the situation. You've got Joseph thinking, oh, Jesus is still a boy, so he's with, the, with Mary and the other women and children at the front. And Mary thinking, oh, Jesus is almost a man. Of course, he's with Joseph there at the back. And then they kind of get together one night and, oh, you got Jesus? No, I haven't got Jesus. You got Jesus? I haven't got Jesus. Where's Jesus? Where's Jesus? Anyone seen Jesus? Being a parent, we often like to tell of, of parenting fails. And it kind of helps each other feel a little bit better about our own failures. Recently, some dear friends from our previous church were telling us of the time they, they were driving to church, about a 20 minute, 20 minute drive for them. And they were almost arrived when they realised that they'd left child number three, about three months old, behind. So they quickly turned the car around, drove back, and there, sure enough, she was still in her chair. Now, at least they knew where their daughter was. But maybe you've experienced something similar, where you've, you've lost a child for a short time. That panic, where could they be? Think of J Joseph and Mary's panic as they realise they haven't got Jesus. And it's, they don't know that he's just at home by himself fine, like our friend's child. No, he could be anywhere. But interestingly, the, the, their panic isn't what's focused on. Now, I'm sure it was there. But that's not what's focused on. What is focused on in these verses is their amazement, astonishment at the scene when they find Jesus again. So verse 46, after three days, three long days, after three days they found him in the temple, sitting amongst the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. 
They couldn't believe their eyes. They're running around panicking, wondering where Jesus is, and here he is. He is in the temple with the teachers, asking questions, listening, answering their questions. And not only that, but all those teachers and all who are seeing Jesus, they are amazed at him. And here we come to the key moment of this passage. Verse 48. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And here we have Jesus' first recorded words. Okay, and they've got to be significant. Jesus' first recorded words, verse 49, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And it's in these words that we we see these two huge declarations about himself, his identity, firstly, and then his work. So firstly, here's our first point, is that Jesus is God's son. Jesus is God's son. Jesus seems genuinely surprised that they would be looking for him. They wouldn't know where he was. And it's always a gentle rebuke even from Jesus here. Why were you looking for me? Did you not know? But Then he says these remarkable words. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Here, Jesus identifies himself as God's son, a unique position. Did you notice the little reversal, subtle reversal that Jesus makes? So Mary says to him, son, why have you treated us, me and Joseph, so? Behold, your father, Joseph, and I have been searching for you in great distress. And how does Jesus respond? Did you not know I must be in my father's house? God's house, the temple. He's not being disrespectful. He's not denying the role that Joseph had as his earthly father. But he is highlighting that ultimately God is his father. He is claiming this unique relationship with the God of the world. Now, much is made of Jesus' humanity in these verses. So back in verse 42, which really was the conclusion of previous events, but I included in today's reading because they kind of bracket it so. But in verse 40, we read, And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favour of God was upon him. And then in verse 52, at the end of these verses, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and man. How incredible that is, thinking of all that we have seen of Jesus' identity. But yet, as a human child, there were things that Jesus didn't know. There were things that Jesus had to learn. He grew, even in favour with God. Incredible statements of Jesus' humanity. And we see, in fact, again, his respect for his mother and father. He is an obedient son. So verse 51, after all this takes place, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. 
Yes, Jesus, human Jesus. But even as a 12-year-old, Jesus recognizes and declares that God is his father. Now, we lose the shock of that. We, living post-New Testament times, we know the wonderful truth of the New Testament, of adoption, that every single Christian believer is adopted into God's family. Jesus is our brother. God is our father now. But in those days, in those few small words, Jesus declares something that had never been said before. In fact, it was something that had never even been conceived before, that an individual could say that God is his father. Maybe, maybe one would describe God as Israel's father. A king might declare themselves as God's son. The people might possibly say, our father. But no one had ever said, my father. No one had ever claimed that unique privilege, that unequaled relationship before Jesus a 12-year-old Jesus stood in the temple, says, this is my father's house. Soon-to-be teenagers aren't always the most humble of creatures. But this isn't arrogance. This isn't jumped-up, spotty teenage self-grandeur. This is Jesus recognising who he really is. He's recognising what is true. Now all who heard Jesus asking and answering questions were amazed. But Jesus is not just some special child, not just a talent, not, not one that, well, yeah, this is definitely a future member of the Sanhedrin here. No, not just special, he is God's son. Now I couldn't walk into Buckingham Palace, well, I couldn't walk into Buckingham Palace at all, but I couldn't walk into Buckingham Palace and say, this is my mother's house. That's not true. There are only four people who could say that. Only Jesus stood in the temple could say, this is my father's house. Now, many of us know, agree, love these things, love that this is who Jesus is. Well, be certain. That's why Luke's writing. But I'm sure that there'll be many watching, or some watching, who think that Jesus is somewhat less than that. Yes, Jesus is special. Yes, Jesus is a good teacher, a moral guide, someone to keep my children on the right path and out of trouble. But Jesus is God's son. We can't write him off as less. In fact, we've got to treat him as he is. Now, if you're not sure about who Jesus is and that he really is God's son, stay tuned in Luke. We'll see how he proves time and time again of who he is. Jesus is God's son. Secondly, well, his mission, his work. He's the son who is committed to his father's work, who is committed to his father's work. Don't know if you ever had careers advice back at school. I was desperately trying to remember what they said that I was going to be. I think it was something in construction. But as you can tell, that's been absolutely nothing like the rest of my life has looked like. 
But even as a 12-year-old, Jesus knows what his future is about. Now that little phrase um, in verse 49, I must be in my father's house, it is a tricky one to translate. It can indeed be translated my father's house, but you'll see also in the footnote that it could be or about my father's business. But whichever way you translate it, I think ultimately we come to the same end. That Jesus says he must be about his father's business. He must be in the temple. I'll unpack those as we go through in a moment. But firstly, notice that word must. I must. Now having a, a, a toddler, that words like must and have to take on a whole new meaning. Now I have to have another biscuit. Mm, you want one. But when Jesus says it here, I must be about my father's business. And in fact, eight other times in Luke, we find the word must being related to Jesus. And that spells out what it means that he is about his father's business. One time, Jesus says he must preach the gospel. Another time, he must bring salvation to an individual, to Zacchaeus, as he comes to stay at his house. One time, he must fulfill the scriptures. And the five other times, in slightly different ways, describe again and again that he must suffer, die, and three days later rise again. Jesus, this is what he must do. He must do his father's business, ultimately, which is him going to Jerusalem to be rejected, to suffer, to die, and to rise. That is his father's business. And even as a 12-year-old, he is showing his commitments to that fa his father's work. So right there then, his commitment to his father's work meant that he must be there in the temple, learning the scriptures that he was to fulfill. 20 odd years later, at the same Passover celebration, he must be rejected by that same group that he was stood, stood amongst and amazing. He must be killed and rise again in order to be the Passover lamb. The Passover um, that was that great celebration of God's rescue in the Old Testament where he brought his people out of slavery in Egypt. You remember that the Pharaoh wouldn't let God's people go. And so God sent the plagues upon them and the last plague was the worst. That the firstborn of every household would die, firstborn son would die. Except those who had killed the Passover lamb and painted its blood over the doorframe. Then the angel of death passed over that household. God's people were saved and from the angel of death and they were released from slavery in Israel. And Jesus, again dying at that Passover festival, became the Passover lamb. The one who saved his people from God's righteous anger. And that means you and me. If we, are, if we admit our sin and see our need of being saved. And if we trust him to have died in our place. 
Jesus is committed to his father's work, which ultimately was to lead him to the cross. Jesus' identity, he is God's son. Jesus' mission as God's son, he is committed to his father's work. But I'll tell you where I think the biggest punch of this verse, these verses come. And it's another surprise. And here's what we learn about us. This surprise comes in verse 50. And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. Mary and Joseph did not understand the saying that Jesus spoke to them. Now, the very first thing I wrote down in my notes, I have the passage there and I scribble all around. The very first thing I wrote in my notes was, why not? Why not? Although that was the first thing I wrote down, it took me an awful long time to realise the significance of it. But why not? Time and again, Mary in particular has been the model responder. So an angel appears to her and says that she, an unmarried virgin, is going to have a son who is going to be God's son. What remarkable news, but she believes and she commits to play her part. Elizabeth, her cousin, visits her, declares her to be the most blessed of women. She bursts out in praise. And she's been given incredible revelation as to Jesus' identity. So first off, the angel in chapter 1, verse 35, the angel says this to Mary. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Then Elizabeth in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 42 and 43 and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is it granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And then last time out, Simeon in chapter 2 verse 30 says, My eyes have seen your salvation when he was holding the baby Jesus. And here Jesus confirms all those things she's been told. And yet she and Joseph don't understand. Why? Why not? It, it seems like it's right there in front of them. It seems like it should be obvious. Like one of those optical illusions when you know the answer. It, it's right there. But Luke here is introducing us to a theme that is going to run right through the gospel. Despite Jesus' wonderful identity and his mission. People time and again fail to understand. They fail to grasp who he is. So, in chapter 9, when Jesus tells his disciples that he's going to be delivered into the hands of evil men, in verse 45, but they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. Again, in chapter 18, Jesus again tells his disciples that he's going uh, to be rejected, mocked, beaten, crucified and rise. What do we find? Verse 34. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them and they did not grasp what was said. 
In chapter 24, you can look it up time and again through that chapter. His disciples fail to believe the resurrection. They fail to recognize the risen Jesus amongst them until he opened their eyes. Until he opened their minds to understand the scriptures that had declared all this long in advance. If anyone, anyone is going to see who Jesus is and what he's about... God needs to reveal it. It is right there, clear as day. Yes, but no. Even Mary, with all that she had been told, with her unique position and privilege, she couldn't understand. She needed God to to show it to her. And so that is the case with us as well. So although Mary and Joseph, they don't get it, in a sense, yet once again, Mary does model the right response. So uh, look down um, at how she does respond in verse 51. So later, and they went da- and he, Jesus, went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. See Mary's response. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And that word for things is the same word for sayings uh, that she didn't understand just back in verse 50. She treasured all these things up. She pondered them. That's what that word means. She she, uh, didn't just come to hasty conclusions. She remained open. She considered. She thought about them. And if you don't yet understand why Christians go so much on about Jesus and his death, but you, you are intrigued. Well, how should you respond like Mary? Treasure these things up in your heart. Uh, ponder them. Don't write them off. Think about them. Keep investigating. And if you've got uh, become a bit frustrated, you know, and perhaps a family member isn't getting who Jesus is, maybe you've been doing one-to-ones with them, like, how are they not getting it? Well, here, understand why. It requires an act of God to bring that sight and understanding. Also, be humble. Now, if God hadn't done that work in your heart, you wouldn't have ever seen it. And also, keep, finally, do keep trying to make it plain. Okay, we, we are to do that ourselves. We are to try our hardest to show people who Jesus is as clearly as we possibly can. But yet it's got to mean we've got to pray. We've got to be praying for people. That God would indeed help people to see who Jesus is. Praying individually each and every day for those family members and friends. That's why the prayer meeting is such a vital part of our church life. Coming together to pray that God would be doing this work in the lives of those who are connected to us and our church. Jesus is God's son, who is committed to his father's work. We've got to understand that everyone has needed, or everyone still needs, God's intervention, if they're ever going to see it. Let's pray. Father, we do indeed pray that you would be doing this work even now, in helping those you haven't yet seen to see who Jesus is, And to see what he was about. His commitment 
to your work. And for us who do know, pray that we would once again see and treasure and delight in who Jesus is and what he has done. We thank you that he came as the Passover lamb, that he had to, he must die on a cross and rise again. Thank you that he has taken your wrath, that we wouldn't have to if we're trusting in him. Father, please, that be so precious to us. And please continue to do that work of opening eyes, opening minds through our work. In Jesus' name, amen.